turns out that aligning what you do to your personality and your values and who you are as a person uh, really, really works. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to help people thrive in an area of their life that happened to be in the workplace. Um, I want to use science and the principles of psychology every day in my work. And here we are. I found it. This is the Working Progress Podcast, and welcome back to another episode. Are you ready for some inspiration? Today, we're talking to Rosie. Rosie has a career coaching business and a very successful YouTube channel called Not Even French. The funny story was that when I first contacted Rosie based on the research I did, knowing that she had recently switched from corporate to online business, I didn't make the connection that I'm actually a subscriber to her other YouTube channel. I only realized this after I dug a little deeper, and it is so nice to be able to talk to someone that I've been following for years. This is such a small world. So before coaching and a successful YouTube channel, Rosie actually worked in corporate for about 10 years, and she had been spending time between her home in New Zealand and France where her husband's from. Why did she move all the way across globe, and how did she get into different careers? And how did she manage all of these while excelling at her day job? We are here to find out just like you are. And before we dive into the interview, I want to mention that Rosie has a free mini course that aims to help people find the why in your career. And it is important to know the why before you begin. So I will have the link in the notes. And without further ado, please welcome Rosie. Welcome back to the Working Progress Podcast. Today we're talking to Rosie, and the story behind how we found her is very interesting. So, the other day I was just researching online on who I want to talk to about career transitions, and I came across Rosie's profile, and I thought she was super interesting. She also looked a bit familiar, but I was in the I was in the research mode, so I didn't think too much about it. So I just put that thought in the back of my head, and then I just moved on. I contacted Rosie, and luckily she was super friendly, and she said yes to this interview. So here we are today. Rosie is on our podcast, and the reason why we wanted to talk to Rosie is because Rosie has uh, had a lot of experience in terms of career changes. She worked in HR for about ten years, and she then had a YouTube channel that she started where she talks about the expat experiences of living in France, and now she's back in New Zealand. And she transitioned to a career coach. That's a lot of changes, and I'm <laughs> to talk to Rosie today. So before we get started with the questions right away, Rosie, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of introduction about what you've done in the past, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is the very first interview I've done under Badass Careers, my career coaching <laughs> uh, side of things. So yeah, it's, it's really cool to, to chat to you today. So uh, for me, I um, where should I start? Maybe with my studies. So I always thought that I was going to study medicine, become a doctor, like that was what I was aiming for. Um, I did all the sciences and I, I got into first year medicine and I kind of got hit by a train because <laughs> I realized, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Like I just had this, I remember two months out from starting thinking, I just can't do it. I can't do, um, I can't see people every day 
that, you know, when you go to a doctor, usually there's something wrong. There's a problem that needs fixing. You need help with something. And while I found the idea of the profession so rewarding um, as an empath, I was just like, there's no way I can do this job and not take it home. And so I was like, I, I want to help people and I want to work with people. And I want to connect and help them live better lives, but I just don't think I can do it in this context. And I had a bit of a quarter life crisis breakdown. Long story short, I went to university um, with no idea what to study. I just chose my university based on where my most of my friends were going. And <laughs> this is in New Zealand, so it's not like we have a huge amount of choice of universities anyway. There are only about five of them. Um, but um, I was like, okay, what am I going to study? And I actually ended up going to the career services there and working with a career coach. And she um, did a Myers-Briggs type indicator test with me and she did some other sort of psychometric testing and the future selves test and all this kind of stuff and basically long story short it came up it said you should be a coach you should be an HR professional or you should be a psychologist and I was like I don't know what any of those things are but I'm going to do a degree in business majoring in HR and I'm going to do a degree in science majoring in psychology and it allowed me to keep some of the science going as well in terms of biology and chemistry and stuff like that so I was like let's give this a go. Um, turns out that aligning what you do to your personality and your values and who you are as a person uh, really, really works because I had never heard of these things before, but I started studying them and I became obsessed. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to help people thrive in an area of their life. It happened to be in the workplace. Um, I want to use science and the principles of psychology every day in my work. Um, and here we are. I've, I've, I've kind of found it. And so um, I started off in, in human resources. And my first job, uh, well, I actually started working part-time in recruitment while I was studying, had a 20-hour uh, per week job while I was studying, which is a really good idea um, to get that practical experience under my belt. And then I got into a uh, human resources graduate program. And uh, this was probably one of the uh, most amazing starts to an HR career and that it was a two-year-long program. Every six months, I moved to a different function of human resources. So I was um, in training and development and um, I was I was in talent management, which is an area that helps assess, you know, who are the high performers and high potentials in the company and how can we make sure that they're engaged and they, they're developed and they're staying within the company and how are we going to make sure that they are being prepared to take on some of the most exciting positions we have. And then in a completely different area of the business, I was in the middle of nowhere on a manufacturing site in a plant um, helping factory workers for six months. And anyway, it was just absolutely incredible and everything was going just swimmingly until I met my French husband um, in Auckland, New Zealand. And he threw a bit of a, well, French boyfriend, obviously, at the time. And he spent, um, he spent, he threw a spanner in the works because suddenly I met this guy and we were only dating for six months, but I knew I just wanted to be with him. And I was like, I've got to find a way to get to France. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was, a, this was probably my first big um, moment in my career where I was like, I call it an oh shit moment. Cause I was like, what am I going to do? Um, long story short for visa reasons and because I didn't speak any French and all of these kinds of things, I decided to do my master's over in France. Um, 
It was incredible. Uh, you, you, the way they do masters over there, there's always an internship component, and there are several schemes where the company actually pays your tuition fee. So I got my masters in France completely free. My company, which was um, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy Group, so a huge French like luxury giant who owns brands like Dior, Givenchy, um, um, obviously Moet and Chandon. Uh, Louis Vuitton, basically Dior, like a lot of the big French luxury brands you can think of, they own, um, and they paid for my master's degree, and I and and they paid me a monthly salary while I was working for them and writing my master's thesis for them. So that was incredible. That was also in HR. Um, I carried on in HR. Uh, I, I had a few different pivots, and I ended up uh, spending four years working at L'Oreal, again the headquarters in Paris. And then uh, my my French boyfriend and I decided to get married, and this was another big oh shit moment because I realized I couldn't continue down the corporate path, um, mainly because I can't be sort of anchored to a job, anchored to a location, and sort of be begging my manager, you know, every year, can I please go home for three weeks, missing right. every event, every birthday, every wedding. Um, and I was like, I have, I have to find a way to work for myself. Um, and this kick, this gave me the kick up the bum to start my YouTube channel, which, um, I originally thought could be a way to start working for myself and start a sort of side hustle business. And it was successful beyond my wildest imagination. So in, in less than two years, I, I cracked a hundred thousand subscribers, just talking about my life in France, the French culture and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and while I realized that that's not what I want to do long term for a career, I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad I, I tried it because it gave me the inspiration for the next phase of my life, which is I'm, I'm creating a YouTube channel and an Instagram account all around career coaching and sort of your HR behind the scenes, um, how to succeed in the workplace. So sorry, that was probably a little bit long, but I, I think it gives you an insight into some of my uh, key moments that I've I, and decisions that I've made along the way absolutely that is so exciting and I feel like it was um I don't know so for me I kind of I grew up in in one country and then I moved to this country so it's been like I spent huge chunks of my life in one location and then I moved to the next country but I stayed mm. there for you know the next 10 or so years so it's hard for me to imagine like you going you know from New Zealand and then you know, three years late, or I don't know how long, how, how long after you met your boyfriend, um, mm. husband now, then you decided you, you have to move. So it's really, really hard for me. And it's not, it's not a small move. It's not like you move within Europe, you move from New yeah. Zealand to, uh, to France. Right. It couldn't get, it yeah. literally couldn't be any further, <laughs> so, which, yeah. which is why it was really problematic for me. I had a bit of a crisis moment when I uh, mm. was getting married. Not, I mean, cold, you know, they say everyone gets a bit of co like cold feet. It wasn't about him, but it was just like, wow, this lifestyle, how are we going to make this work? Um, you know, given that it's, it's getting harder and harder for me to keep seeing my friends get married or they have babies or something happens and I'm not there and I can only come back for three weeks a year. And it just didn't feel sustainable, which is, um, but it gave me a huge why and a huge yeah. reason for uh, starting the side hustle and exploring this crazy world of online business. Yeah, that is so great. And, and I think having a strong why is a very... Um, important factor in how um, 
how I guess how how firmly you want to achieve this goal. You mm. have a very strong why, and I think that's very instrumental in in your all your moves. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, were you scared when you moved from New Zealand when you moved away from home? Yeah. Um, so, I I'm I, I look back now and I think, wow, she was so naive. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't. On, quite honestly, I thought yes, it's going to be. I was like very naive. I was like, oh, that's going to have. They're going to have such great food over there, and there's going to be so much history, and I'm going to be able to travel around Europe every weekend, and the flights will be like fifteen dollars, and you know, you've got all your, you've got all your stereotypes in mind, right? And mm-hmm. I was only thinking about that, and I sort of think, I think there's this ignorance around. Well, I'm going to just another rich, developed, westernized country, so what could be different you know life's life's exactly the same um apart from a few little things I mean it's gonna be pretty pretty seamless and boy was I wrong I mean it was bumpy and um oh my gosh like even in the even in the workplace the way the French communicate the their tolerance for risk the way they make decisions the way they hold meetings the way they get work done everything is different And I just wasn't prepared for that at all. However, the genuine shock of that, I was actually able to channel and turn into my YouTube channel, you know. So um, it it, kind of came full circle, but I was definitely not prepared. So I wasn't scared at all just because I probably should have been. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And do you feel like by dating someone who's French, you kind of got a glimpse of you know, how French people work and how they hold the meetings, like you mentioned, or is this still a huge, is is this, is this still very different from, you know, personal relationships? Yeah, it's, re- I think it's really, really different because when you, you're in, when you're in a relationship, there's culture playing, but there's personality, there's all sorts of different yeah. things. And I guess with, um, with Niels, it's sort of like, well, I met him while he was a student and he was, you know, doing his gap, gap year and he had a, you're different right like you're abroad for a limited amount of time you're open-minded you want to travel you're soaking it up and all he wanted to do was learn about New Zealand and New Zealand culture and speak English and you know it wasn't at all about uh, me learning about France or all the French language or anything like that obviously then when you go back to see him in context back home with his you know original friends and family and stuff it's actually quite different so um yeah that was that was really interesting but no I didn't he didn't help help me at all really in terms of giving me a perception of of what life might be like yeah so you had to figure that out on your own totally <laughs> it was pretty good that uh you were able to finish your master's, de- I mean, start your master's degree in mm. a relevant field. And mm. I mean, including the um, the internship was paid off. That was amazing, paid for. Mm. That was pretty amazing. Um, how long was that period? Yeah, so that was just uh, just over one year, actually. So, okay. um, so I did, you know, to get your master's degree, you need to study for five years in France. Um, they call it the bac plus cinq because it means your, your baccalauréat, your baccalaureate or your, your high school mm-hmm. degree plus five years. So um, I had already studied for four years in New Zealand uh, because I did a double degree and a sort of post grad uh, certificate. And, and if you've done a four years, um, four year long American bachelor's degree, for example, that counts as four years of study as well. 
Um, so either you do the four years bachelor degree or you do three-year bachelor plus an additional year, you know, like an honours year or a postgrad year, and that would be your four years. Um, so you, if, you've do, if you've got that, you can go directly into the final year of a master's degree, which is that fifth year. And in the fifth year, um, it, it, what's really cool about France is, well, several things, but they've got the employment law that you absolutely have to pay interns and mm. people doing their apprenticeships and everything, uh, which is really cool because it means that I was earn, earning uh, 1,400 euros per month uh, for a year. And while that might not, might not seem like that much, you know, it's just, it was minimum wage at the time, um, I could pay my rent. And what was absolutely crazy is even while I was studying at school for four months straight, my company was still paying me. So they they start paying you before you're even interning with them. It's really part of this scheme um, called an called an apprenticeship or an apprentissage system in France. Um, so it was just absolutely incredible being able to do that. Um, but anyway, so it was just it was just a one year program, and how it worked is I would study for three four months full time, and then what you do is you go to your company um, and you work for them for three weeks, and then you're back to school for for one week and then you go back to them for three weeks and you're back at school for one week and you do that for another few months um, and then you just go full-time in the company until you graduate and that's when you're writing your master's thesis based on a practical problematic for them. Mm, I see and so you it took you one year uh, when doing the apprenticeship and afterwards did you stay mm -hmm. with the company? Yeah no I didn't um, so mm -hmm. afterwards by that point I was really quite elementary in French. Um, I could get around, I could understand more and more, but I was um, incredibly shy when it came to speaking. And I just felt, um, I was I was the world's worst language student because I felt too embarrassed to speak. And that's obviously the number one thing you have to get over if you want to learn a language. Um, and it is hard. So I was quite elementary in my French still by then. And so they offered me roles in London and in Glasgow, uh, working for like, you know, whisk, like luxury whiskey, whiskey brands, um, mm -hmm. or there was like a fashion brand in London. And although they were amazing jobs, I didn't go, you know, all the way around the world <laughs> to, to not yeah. be in Paris, basically. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and at the same time, I had experienced a very traditional hierarchical sort of old school French corporate environment and I really wanted to, to try something a bit more modern and a startup so what I did after that is I went to a startup environment and um, I found a job in English I was really lucky actually because basically they were um, an online music streaming service I think a competitor to Spotify and they were just starting up um, specialized in music in European languages. So if you're in Bulgaria, you'd be able to have a huge music library in Bulgarian, for example, which is really cool because it's true that Spotify is super Anglo-Saxon and, you know, catered to like more so, more so the, the mainstream market. So I went and worked for them and um, because they were headquartered in, in France, because they were a French-based startup, um, they were based in Paris. However, they were really keen to expand internationally and they had um, employees and contractors based all around the world. So I joined as an HR manager for everyone based outside of France, meaning that I could work in English every single day, which was absolutely fantastic. How long were you at this startup? 
Yeah, so what I did, I was an international HR generalist. So I was just there to cover someone's maternity leave. So I was only there for nine months. Um, and what what I would do concretely on a day-to-day basis is um, recruitment, so hiring people, onboarding people, so getting them set up in the system, um, making sure they knew everything they need, needed to know about the company, signing them up for any relevant trainings they needed to go on, and then just helping managers with performance management, so either um, helping them to engage and and motivate t- very talented employees or on the other end of the spectrum, it might be helping them you know, work with employees who are having performance problems um, as well. So there was that kind of stuff. And then this day-to-day kind of generalist stuff, which is around, you know, holidays and internal campaigns, like we would launch, um, you know, events and and there'd be internal communications and and that kind of stuff as well. Um, So, you know, and as well as kind of designing new policies. So the employees might tell us over and over again, just a, one example, but, um, you know, in the tech industry, in the startup world, it's really common to have uh, the day off on your birthday. Why don't we have that here, for example? And so we'd look into that and make sure that it was compliant with, like, employment regulations and we could we could manage it from an administrative perspective and we'd get that signed off by the board and then we could roll that out and implement that. So just, like, as a, as a tiny example. Um, and what was really interesting about this experience is that I so badly wanted the startup experience because I'm not your corporate girl who likes to get super dressed up high heels like pencil skirt full face of makeup every single day you know some people thrive on that and some people really love um love that aspect of of getting dressed up and going into the office and being there and everything what I liked about the startup culture is that you turn up to work and it's about how the value is on the work you do and how good you are at your job and not any of the other stuff so you can rock up to work in your jeans and your sneakers and smash the presentation and you know it's just like that's what kind of appealed to me and I really really did love that side and everyone was very laid back and super cool and the offices obviously had all the you know the foosball and the and the tvs playing music videos and the free cookies and it was really really cool but the job itself wasn't stretching me and wasn't challenging me and I and I remember thinking I've got to get back into corporate which is why I went to L'Oreal afterwards um because the resources that these huge companies have it means you've got entire teams um and task forces dedicated to the coolest projects and they've got budget and they can be innovative and they can create new things Whereas um, where I was in the startup, I just kind of felt like it was always a shoestring budget. Um, There was never any money for development or new things and everything was very, very tight. And it was almost like you had to just do the bare minimums. Everyone was under-resourced and everyone was just making it work with what they had. Um, So that's kind of why I I was like, actually, you know what? Corporate's not as bad as they say. (laughs) You realize that after you got yeah. into the startup. Definitely. The way you approached all these changes, you didn't seem to be too nervous about them. And somehow you were able to, um, you know, try something out and come to a conclusion, whether you liked it or not, and what, you know, realize that you don't like about this, what you don't like about this, and you move on to the next thing where, you know, you, you take your lessons with you. And I think that's pretty um, 
interesting. And I feel like I don't see that in a lot of people, honestly. I think a lot of times people, when they are, you know, in a job that they don't really like or they don't enjoy, they kind of just suffer <laughs> for longer mm-hmm. than they have to, you know? And I feel like that's very interesting. Um, I wonder what you think about that. And do you think that there are other things that you do personally or, you know, some other traits you have that helped you navigate through all these transitions so smoothly? Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been given a lot of positive feedback around my self-awareness. So just able to know who I am, what I like, what I don't like, and 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 where I'm best placed kind of thing. And that's not something that you're, you know, that that just comes naturally. It's something you build up over time. But I think for me in my career, I always had my why, which is I want to help people thrive and be happy in the workplace. That for me was clear. And then the next question is, okay, so how are you going to make that happen? So you could make it happen in a variety of different professions. Obviously, there's human resources, there's organizational psychologists, there's workplace counselors, there's, I mean, it, you could you could think of a million different things. So I had my why and then my how was I'm going to work in human resources, not the I firing people and redundancy side, but um, I really want to work in what I ended up working in, which is which is the development. So upskilling them, helping them reach their potential, helping them take their career to the next level, all the positive things. So, so I got quite clear on that. And then the next stage is like, okay, so what do you concretely do and where are you working and that kind of thing? So because I had a couple of those down and I had that clarity piece and I kind basically... I was able to look at every next move as an experiment and be really in tune as to, okay, in this context, in this role, what's working for me, what what plays to my strengths and what feels really draining and what kind of tasks do I keep procrastinating on over and over again? And, you know, and I started to kind of take note of all of these things and I just view, I wouldn't view any role as like a success or a failure. It was just like another, um, opportunity for me to get one step closer to the that job that feels like a really perfect fit so then I try, went to the startup and I tried again and I learned some more new things about me and I kind of at each step I had a hunch about what might make me feel happier and perform better and just feel all around better within my work context and so I would I would take I would take that hunch and I would try it out again. I'd have a hypothesis and then I'd try out it out as an experiment. And as I went, I'd be noting down, okay, I want more of this and I want less of this. And over over time, I sort of carved out, especially in my last role at L'Oreal, like a real dream job for me because I was very, very clear on uh, where I would add the most value, but also really what I wanted and, and what I wanted less of in a role. Mm, I see. And what do you do if, um, I don't know if that's the case for you, but I'm just thinking about um, um, like, you know, circumstances. So Mm. have you ever had the, have you ever been in a situation where you say you know what you want to do at L'Oreal, but maybe you didn't have all the experiences that, or skills that they're looking for? How did you, um, or in other past jobs that you had, how did you Mm. um, convince convince them that, um, you know, you're capable or convince them to give you a try? Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess, I mean, when it's an internal move, for example, at L'Oreal, so what I would do is, I mean, firstly, you've got to be awesome at your job. 
you've got to be really fantastic at what you do, even if it's not the one that you think you want to be in long term. So even if you're feeling stuck and frustrated, there's no point sort of um, kind of, you know, taking a step back and letting that, I know, I know, I know how that can feel, but letting that kind of misery, let's say, um, drag you down and stop you from being your best self because your reputation will talk. And, you know, if you, if you have any challenge that's thrown at you and you can make the most of it and do your best, I mean, that's step one. And then I would, um, what I'd see people do and what I've done myself as well is you may not have the formal qualifications. You may not have all the experience that they're looking for, but you do have your strengths, which you can apply to multiple different contexts. So getting very, very clear on what your sort of top five strengths are. Um, and I, I help people uh, to do that. And I've actually, um, it's part of a free course that I have actually, um, if, mm-hmm. if your listeners might be interested in, uh, in it, but it, it helps you identify what your strengths are. If you haven't done an exercise like that, it's just badasscareers.com slash free course. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so getting crystal clear on your strengths, um, your added value and what you can do in every context, because yeah, maybe you haven't had the exact work experience, but you, you'll have these strengths that you can rely on to get you through. So if you're a natural communicator and you know how to find the words and you know how to build relationships really quickly, um, and you go into a new role and you actually don't know anything about the function. It's your very, very first time working in it. Well, you can use that, that those strengths to connect with as many people as as you can and ask them, you know, what do you expect from me in this role? What would a successful working relationship look like? And you can actually make your, turn your strengths into something that will help you to, to find that success. Um, so there's that as well. Um, and I think is, and what I saw people doing, which was really good and what I've done myself when I wanted to edge into a different team is actually asking them uh, on top of your day job, which you're already doing a great job of, uh, a job at to join certain meetings and help out on certain projects. See if you can find any overlap with what you can offer and your skill set and your strengths um, and, and what they're doing. And you can you can kind of get in there by basically, you know, having a networking conversation with a colleague. You can take someone from the your target department out, um, you know, for a coffee and, and, and say you want to, you know, understand the business a little bit more and chat to them about what they do and what their biggest challenges are, are and what projects they have on. And if you see something where you could really add value and you see yourself contributing to something, even at the lowest level, you could say this is actually something I'm I'm really fascinated um, on. So if you if you would like me to help you with X or to proofread that or to have a brainstorming session with you on this, um, I'd I'd happily volunteer. So they kind of start um, volunteering, putting their hands up, doing little extra things, and just meeting and talking to people from different teams and departments, understanding their challenges and suggesting and helping out on ways that they can solve them. And I've seen people starting to like get invited to um, to task force meetings or, or, or other meetings and just kind of uh, getting started that way so that when that a vacancy does come up in that team or in that department, they're able to sort of shimmy, shimmy on in there, um, even though it may not be the most natural kind of continuation of what they've been doing. But I think when it comes to um, externally, um, it's the same kind of concept um, because when you're job hunting externally, it can be really hard sometimes 
to tell the story of why you, who you are and why you want to change and why you do such a good job in a completely different context. So of course, on your CV, you can highlight your transferable skills. Of course, you can, you can make the links between what you've done in terms of base competencies and then the competencies that they're obviously seeking in their job description. But at the end of the day, if you're going for a project manager role and there are 100 people applying with project manager already as their existing job title on their CV, they're probably going to get precedence because unfortunately recruiters are overwhelmed. And I'm not saying at all that recruiters are lazy. It's the, it's the absolute opposite. They're overworked, overwhelmed, and sometimes they'll make shortcuts, which is, okay, these five people are already project managers, so let's con- consider them for the project manager role rather than this girl who's a communication manager and she wants to be a project manager but she's never actually done it before sometimes it is really tough so what I always try and do with my clients is we have um, like a, a networking plan where you can contact people who are working in the area on LinkedIn and have like informational interviews with them and basically I'm I'm a big fan of networking when you don't need it. So, so just building up relationships with people, figuring out what it's what the their job and their day the day and the work looks like, connecting with them, asking for a 15-minute chat, you know, and, and sort of target companies and and kind of building up your network and keeping in touch um, with these people. And ideally over time, you'll have people starting to say, hey, you seem really, really passionate about this. Should I forward your CV onto HR and that kind of thing? I think uh, word of mouth and referrals is still a hugely powerful resource when it comes to pivoting into a new industry or function. What, what if I feel like I don't really know what to say or there's no burning questions I have at the moment, but I feel like mm-hmm. I need to keep a relationship going and, you know, to to keep keep in touch basically what do you have any suggestions for that yeah so when you first reach out I think some simple questions are just around um you know what's the company culture like where you are uh what does a day in the life look like for you and you know uh what would someone doing your role what kind of skills would make them super successful and what kind of person maybe wouldn't suit this kind of work and that kind of thing and you can have a nice rich conversation with them at the first connection over coffee or that 15-minute phone call and then keeping in touch um, a really practical tip is just uh, making use of your LinkedIn notifications every day logging into LinkedIn for five minutes and they tell you if someone's had a a birthday if they're celebrating a work anniversary if they've changed positions all of these are really really good opportunities just to send someone a quick message to say congrats or you know and and keep keep it alive so I'd like I'd recommend almost going into LinkedIn um, every day which we don't because people a lot of people just go to LinkedIn when they need a job all of a sudden again it's back to networking when you don't need it and just spending five minutes and say every day on LinkedIn um, every work day I'm going to send three little messages, you know, and that can either be in response to someone's post on the feed or it can be um, in response to these notifications that I talked about. Mm, That's a good suggestion. Yeah, you can also use, I mean, um, key key moments in the year. You know, there's the start of a new year. There's the end of a new year where you can send out your thank you email and say, you know, you've played a part in my year or or in my career development this year. So, you know, a thank you email. Um, And then, of course, the year's broken into quarters and 
you can you know touch back into uh, with people and say hey uh, hey Sean just checking in it's the end of Q1 and I remember you telling me about some exciting things that you had going on in the first half of this year just wondering how your projects are going and and um, you know whatever and it just depends on the conversation you had but um, there's also just yeah annual I guess events as well. Tell me about your YouTube channel. Yeah so um, my YouTube channel was a uh, was something that completely turned my career on its head actually because I had a very traditional corporate career up until this point um, and I decided that I wanted to try out this world of uh, online business slash side hustles slash you know every man and his dog is is starting up a side hustle right they, they're they're renting out their spare room on Airbnb or they're an Instagram influencer or they're you know and I really I was got really excited by this by the prospect and I was like I can't believe that these people are able to earn a living right. um just you know like just doing these these things you're like this is such a good idea anyways started to look into what what could I do what could I talk about basically that's where it all starts what could I talk about what do I know um and a lot of people listening might be like oh well yeah okay she's a career coach and she worked in HR you know that's that makes sense so yeah you've got the question number one question is what what am I already being paid for and how could I turn that into working for myself okay but the YouTube channel was something quite different that was me talking about my life in France as an expat and really exploring cultural differences uh, between yeah New Zealand and France US and France and just general French lifestyle and culture shocks um and so I decided to start up this this YouTube channel on the weekends on top of a very busy corporate job at L'Oreal and um at first I was just overwhelmed by how much I loved it and I just realized oh my gosh I've got at first I was like how am I going to come up with video ideas this is impossible you know I like how I've got, I've got nothing to speak about I've got nothing to share my life is so normal my life is so boring um, and then you start brainstorming and you're like, actually, you know, that might be interesting to share um, how how hard it was to open a bank account in France. And that might be interesting to share, you know, how I met my my French boyfriend or the, the cultural differences I found in dating French men in particular. Or, you know, and then you start brainstorming out all these different things you can talk about. And before I knew it, I had at least 50 video ideas and I was like, if I put out one video per week, I've already got one year's worth of video ideas here. Let's let's do it. Um, I originally wanted to actually do a blog and then I was like, oh, writing takes too much time. I'm just going to sit down and make videos. <laughs> Little did I know how much time videos took yeah. to film and edit and everything. But anyway, that was my thought process at the time. <laughs> there weren't many YouTubers out there. There was like one one American um, expat in France who had kind of made it big, but her channel was in French. So I was like, ooh, like, so I was like, oh, this is quite exciting. And then there were like three or four um, other English speaking expats um, who were doing YouTube, but, you know, and there were squillions of, of expat bloggers. So I was like, okay, let's try out YouTube. Um, and I was maybe two or three months in to my YouTube channel. I'd put out a video weekly consistently and I had probably around 300 subscribers, something like that. Pretty, pretty good, pretty good for, for, for three months, but not shocking. Mm -hmm. And then I, one of my videos kind of went viral, which was around 
dating a Frenchman. And then a few weeks later, I had another video that did really well, which was around the French diet culture. Mm. And the cumulative effect of those two videos, all of a sudden, I had like 7,000 subscribers. And I was four months and I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? <laughs> and with YouTube, it's it really is a snowball. It's so slow and it's so long to get started. Like anything, I think, an online business. It could be podcasting. It could be blogging. It could be Instagram feeds. It could be so many things. And you have to put in so much grit and so much effort up front. It really is a game of faith, right? You're like, this is going to work. You have to stay optimistic. This is going to work. It's going to work out. Um, and you just keep going and you're hearing crickets. And then all of a sudden you get shared by the right publication the right blog someone you know someone say something to like people start telling their friends um and and all of a sudden or it gets shared to Facebook and and you're away and this is really what happened to me and so in my first year I cracked 50,000 subscribers um which I was just in like like shocked by and it meant that you know when I got to about 7,000 7,000 subscribers, I started earning money. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm earning money on YouTube. And I was like, I can't believe it. Like I filmed this, these videos, the work's already done. They're already online. And while I'm sleeping, people are watching them and the ads are playing on them and I'm earning money. And that was my first taste, I think, of like, wow, people do make money online. You know, it was like, it's not, it's not just a rumor. And, you know, you, you start off really small and you're earning a hundred US dollars a month and then maybe 120. And then like, oh, I had a good month. I went all the way up to 180. But then suddenly it's 300, it's 500. And at my absolute peak, it was like, you know, sometimes a thousand US dollars a month on my AdSense and then you're doing sponsored videos on top of that. And I was like, oh my God, like I got to a point where I was like, if I really wanted to, I could go full time on this. Like, yeah, I'd be earning minimum wage. But if at the moment I'm I'm investing 10 hours a week on this. So if I'm investing 40 hours a week in this and I'm putting out two videos a week and I'm spending time contacting brands and getting sponsored deals, I could actually like replace my corporate job with YouTube. And that was just such an unexpected career trajectory over the past few years. You know, it was just absolutely crazy. And while I never ended up going full-time on Not Even French, I'm going to apply the same principle to my my new YouTube channel, which I'll be starting around career coaching. So you started, let me see, um, about two, three years ago, right? Uh, on Not Even French, I started two years but, ago. Yeah, just okay, over two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty significant. I feel like for someone who I, I, I'm just thinking, I'm just, this is probably just for me, <laughs> but I think for someone with a corporate job, you know, to mm -hmm. go from, a corporate job and then in two years you realize that you can completely switch your career and your lifestyle obviously mm -hmm. because if you're making money online then your your work you know no longer looks the same you can work mm -hmm. from home from anywhere or, or from any country and yeah. you know get, get paid or maybe even more I don't know how much but that's that's a that's a huge change and are, are you happier with this new lifestyle yeah so so today um my life looks quite different in that I can, you know, I make 100% of my income online. Uh, so 
all of my career coaching clients are international and we just meet over Zoom. It's the equivalent of Skype and, and we have our career coaching conversations that way. So I do career coaching um, and I've got my Not Even French YouTube channel, of course, which I still uh, upload to and I do sponsored videos with and that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm also freelance consulting um, as an HR professional and I'm still actually working with L'Oreal as one of my clients doing occasional HR consulting and honestly I've like never been happier um, because I can I've got complete autonomy over my schedule I can make my days as packed or as light as I want them to be depending on what I've got on in life you know, at the moment I'm doing, um, it's, it's something so small and ex- insignificant, but I, it just makes me, so, it puts a smile on my face. I'm doing a, a running challenge using an app called Couch to 5K. And I love being able to just like stop work at three, go for a run and then come back to it. You know, I love being able to um, go down to the waterfront and work in a really cool hipster cafe overlooking the yeah. water for four hours go for a walk at lunchtime, do a bit of shopping. Oops, I've been two hours. Oh, well, it's my life, you know, and, 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 and get back to work. And, and I'm not saying that's easy because I probably work more hours than I worked at L'Oreal, but everything I'm doing, it feels like I'm building my thing, you know, like my dream. And I just, it's just that flexibility, um, which I wouldn't trade for the world. I think I'm not only do I love my, my work streams, but and yes it's more insecure and no you don't get benefits and no you don't get retirement and no you don't get holidays and that you've got to be you've got to be smart you've got to you've got to take responsibility for a lot of things you've got to hire an accountant you've got to plan for your future financially you've got to do lots of stuff but the fact that I can you know we're going to go to France um back to France for a month in July and the fact that I can keep working and do my thing and if and you know the long-term dream is to live in New Zealand for six months and and France for six months of the year and I'll absolutely be able to do that with my business so um that kind of thing just makes me wake up every morning thinking ah you know I can't believe I get to do this that's amazing. I do agree with you that autonomy is so, so important, mm. especially like the older you get, the more family you're going to have. Your mm. friends and family are going to have more more family. So you will have more um, different, different people, more people you want to see. You probably want to spend more time traveling. And it's really good to have that flexibility, like you said, that to be able to to just go to wherever you want to be. Absolutely. You switched um, to full-time coaching sometime last year. Is that correct? Yeah, in, in September last year. So, okay. okay. Yeah. And, but you were already accepting coaching clients before then. Yeah. So um, I am a big believer when you're just starting out, like doing an online business and, and doing free coaching and um, getting testimonials and getting social proof and proving uh, to yourself and to others that you can actually get results. So there are a lot of people popping up. That's the, that's the bad side, I guess, of you know being able to work anywhere with an internet connection is that there's a lot of people popping up claiming that they can do things for you and coach you. And you know that, that word gets thrown around a lot. Um, and they just kind of get started without actually uh, having proven proven that so I actually announced on my YouTube channel not even French that I was taking on um 
uh, client calls and if people would like to apply and work with me and that kind of thing, I ended up coaching uh, around 20 people for free. And in that, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was probably too much, but but it was was something that I wanted to do, um, you know, for myself and I got testimonials for my website and I got them for my LinkedIn saying, you know, I got people, helped people to get uh, jobs at really great companies, fortune 500 startups. Like, like, and I also helped um, people get into really prestigious master's programs that they wanted to get into. A lot of them, because they came from my not even French channel, a lot of them are, you know, living outside of France and are wanting to work in Paris or get into Paris master's program. So that was quite easy for me because it's something I've lived through. But there are also uh, people who had nothing to do with Paris or France or anything like that as well. Um, And just basically working with them, landing them interviews, landing them jobs, landing them uh, salary increases, and then being able to get that social proof, I finally got that confidence where I was like, okay, I can start charging now. Mm, I see. And how long of a period was that between when you first started um, accepting free clients and until you fully switch over to full time? Yeah, it was three months. So in those three months, I was exclusively doing free clients and working on my website and my business plan. So I, I kind of had prepared for that. I knew that I would be earning zero money for three months and it was part of my financial savings plan and stuff by the time I quit L'Oreal and I was really happy for that to have that that no pressure just to have space to breathe and lay the foundations to think and to work with clients without a huge thing over your head which is like can I really do this I can't believe I'm doing this you know because you struggle with imposter syndrome a lot. I see. So you quit L'Oreal first and then you had a three-month period of um, um, coaching people for free to build yeah. up your 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 um, your experiences and then you went into it full-time. Exactly. So I was in France until June so that I was still working for L'Oreal based in France, still had my corporate life, not even French on the side, thinking about my business. We got to New Zealand in June and so from June till September – I was basically moving to New Zealand, house hunting, building business, free clients and everything. And in September, I launched on Instagram. Wow, that is so many changes to go through. I mean, moving to a different country, probably selling a lot of your belongings and then... Oh, selling everything like we left and we we arrived with suitcases of clothes and that's it. And uh, it was huge. It was huge to go from living in a Parisian studio, um, you know, like, like living the corporate life and Mm -hmm. and the commutes and the metros and the big dense busy European city to suddenly in this like medium-sized city on the waterfront buying like being able to buy a a home with with actual three bedrooms and a garden and stuff because it's just a different world like compared to how expensive Paris is um and 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 then and then you know my husband's starting a, a new job as well. Like there's been a lot of change for him, a new wow. country, new job, and then me trying to start a business for the first time. We've had we had a big 2019. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was a very full year for the two of you. Yeah, yeah. So when you were working at L'Oreal, when you um, that's when you started your uh, YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. how was it like balancing the the full-time work at L'Oreal and your online presence and did it feel weird at some point that did you how, how did you talk about this with your coworkers, or what were they pretty open to the idea or what was it like 
Yeah, so I didn't want to have the anxiety of that hanging over my head. So as soon as I started, I, I launched my first video, I told all of my colleagues about it. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the coffee, you know, just having a coffee in the morning, just dropping it in casually. I didn't want, I knew already that I didn't want to be six months in and have my boss's boss come to me and be like, oh, you make videos on YouTube? Like, you know, I, I just, I wanted to be super open about that. So, mm-hmm. so I was. Um, So I had a few rules to keep me sane. Um, So the first one is that I would never work on YouTube uh, while I was at my corporate job and I'd never work on my corporate job um, outside of working hours as I had been doing. So I had to make really, really clear boundaries. Like I would leave work at 7 p.m. at the absolute latest and that's it. Like I never took my work home with me. And um, and it's, it's funny when you make that rule how you can make it work. And I always used to think, mm-hmm. I used to always look at people with young kids and think, how the hell are you making that work? Like, how do you balance the job and having kids? And I think when you've got a deadline and you have to pick your kid up at six, yeah. you're finished, you know, at six and you mm-hmm. make it work. So yeah. so um, it was kind of, I guess, the same concept. And then to be honest, like the YouTube channel itself, it did require a lot of sacrifice. So um, what I mean, it's social sacrifice, I would say, in that um, every single Sunday was my YouTube day. And that was the day that I would write videos, film videos, edit videos, post videos, but that was my YouTube day. And exceptionally, if there was like a birthday brunch or something, okay, I'd break that. Otherwise, if it was just a casual, hey, can you catch up? It was no, sorry my Sundays became really sacred and then everyone kind of knew about it. So would catch up after work or on Saturdays. Could you describe what like a session usually looks like or how, how does it usually go between uh, you and your clients? How do you help them figure out what they want to do next? Yeah. It, I mean, it really depends um, on what the, what the, where the clients at or, or what they need from me, but a really typical um, package of three calls would be, would spend the first uh, first call really deep diving into who the person is, their values, their strengths, um, what they think they've really accomplished uh, recently, the kind of work they hope to be doing in the future. Would really just be unpacking the person, how they got to where they are, um, and you know, really uncovering um, yeah passions and values and strengths and skills and talents and and hopes and dreams and all that kind of stuff. So there's like diff- like usually a career clarity piece. And then usually based on that, we, we kind of pull together like a career manifesto, which is sort of like the, the must-haves in my next role. So my next role may not be my dream job, but I want to have more of this. I want to have less of this. I definitely want this. I definitely want that. Kind of like your, your, your wish list, right? And then what we would do is um, – would would be job hunting together so both of us would would go out there and and sort of look for roles that are advertised I also help them obviously tap into the hidden job market but but we start with the roles that are actually advertised and then based on that we use that role as a case study to pull together a really killer application so that would be a, a cover letter and a cv completely tailored to the to the position and um we usually go above and beyond in some way so I'll just give a few small examples one example would be creating a two-minute video pitch on your fit for this particular role another way might be 
like I had a I had a client land a job at H&M and what she did is she did um, a consumer survey of all of her friends and family who shop at H&M and asked them about their retail experience what they liked what they would change and we put that together in a one pager for H&M for example so there there are many many different ways that we go above and beyond but through that process it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter if they get this job or not, but through the process, I'm teaching them and enabling them um, how to basically be a high-achieving job seeker. So we, 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 we will do that. And then usually in the third session, um, we will be pre- preparing for the interview um, together. So that would be a really, really typical thing. Some people need all three sessions to figure out what they want to do. It just depends where they are. Some people come to me, they know exactly what they want but they don't know how to get there. So that's when we do, okay, there's the there's the applying to advertised roles and then there's the networking piece and then there's the, um, yeah, getting the positive attention of recruiters and potential hiring managers on LinkedIn. And there are so many different things that you can do to tap into the the hidden job market. So we might, we might uh, really focus on that piece. It really depends who I have in front of me. I see, I see. What do you mean by the hidden job market? Well, uh, 80% of roles aren't advertised uh, uh, like in general. Yeah, so it's, it's rather than targeting jobs which are advertised on job boards, the assumption is that successful companies and often the kinds of companies you think of and that you want to target, they've got a lot of work available and they have the resources to pay someone to do it and they can create jobs for people. I've seen it happen thousands of times. And they, they're constantly hiring and there's constantly work happening, but they're not necessarily advertising that to the general public because they, they've always got someone internally who knows someone who could they who they could refer or um, they promote internally or maybe it does get advertised externally, but um, some of the applicants already have insider knowledge or, or a connection inside. So I just find it, there's something around um, getting getting into the companies, connecting with people at the companies, getting referrals with companies. It's sort of teaching people how to how to play that part of the game um, to, to have a much better shot at actually getting your foot in the door. How do you usually find your clients or they find you? Yeah, they find me. At the moment, it's just through my Instagram account. So through my Instagram account, this is something that's also really surprised me. So I have, um, I started up my Instagram account in September and um so it's been what September October November December let's say four or five months now and um I've just been posting like I guess occasion well occasionally a few times a week like I've, I've posted 60 times and uh and I just post a, a photo or a quote and I usually give some career advice and tips and this kind of stuff through doing that alone um I've I've had 15 paying clients who have found me and and come to me and I have to do I don't do much promotion at all um it's it's been so busy that uh I haven't had time to launch my YouTube channel which I thought would be would be the client driver and I can't even get to it because I'm so busy working with my clients so um it's been a huge surprise for me the power of of Instagram it shouldn't be but um for some reason it really took me back I thought I would need to have thousands and thousands of followers to to be able to say oh I've had 15 paying clients and you know Mm. I've got in the in the realm of a thousand followers you know so it it is a crazy really what's possible for us these days in terms of careers and starting online businesses 
I assume you use the right hashtags to, to optimize for the right people you want to target with your post or where do they come from? Maybe they come from your other Instagram accounts. Uh, no, I do use uh, hashtags. So I've got a whole hashtag strategy um, mm -hmm. behind the scenes. So I spent probably spent about three three days on my uh, hashtags and research and strategy before I even launched my account. There's a lot that goes into it for sure. Well, I have one last question for you, mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of a unique one. I like to ask all my the people that I interview. So. Um, so in the past, you've, you know, you worked in HR and now you have your own um, career coaching business and you're, you obviously will have two YouTube channels, which mm. are all super exciting. And I was wondering, you think with all these experiences, do you think in the future you could be changing to or adding to more to your, what you're doing and what could that look like? Yeah. So I think for me, um, long term this is the dream so far uh but that's great yeah but I would like to um I'd like to be an online course creator I have really specialized in my HR career in learning and development so that's around creating trainings and and basically teaching people the skills they need to get from point A to point B and I would like to create um, my own courses around um how to how to find your thing how to f figure out your career purpose and that kind of thing how to create a really killer resume and cover letter how to optimize your your LinkedIn profile so that recruiters are actually coming to you and I think long term um what I would love to do is yeah it's almost the blend of my expertise and my ease with videos and video making and YouTube it's almost packaging those together and creating video based online courses for people so um that that's how I see it and it being my thing that I do all the time. Um, so I don't, I don't think not even French is forever. I don't think doing lots of one-to-one -one coaching is forever. Um, and I don't think doing my HR consulting for corporate clients is forever. I, um, so, so I'll probably will change again. And that's where I think I'm going. That's amazing. And then you'll be able to reach even more people at, at once. Exactly, because I don't have the time to keep up. So it's like, how can yeah. I scale? How can I scale what I'm sort of repeating over and over again with my one-to-one -one clients? I look forward to that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, and <laughs> thank you for um, answering all of my questions. And last question, really quick: um, How can people reach you? Yeah, sure. So I'm just on Instagram at Badass Careers and uh, I have a website, badasscareers.com. And surprise, surprise, my YouTube channel can be found by searching Badass Careers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rosie. It's been so nice to chat with you. Yes, you too. Thanks so much. See you. That's it for this episode, and Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to rate us and share this with someone who might find it helpful. We will talk very soon. Bye.